0: So this morning, um, as they are in Cuba, and as Pastor Tim is away, we come to the next passage of Scripture that we um, talked about last week. This morning, we continue a three-part series on the Christian family, and our text for this mini-series comes from Ephesians chapter 5. So while I'm talking, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, it's okay. These verses will be on the screen for you today. Ephesians chapter 5, um, while you open your Bible, I'll give you just a brief summary of last week's message from Ephesians 5. It was verses 22 through 24. It says this. Um, basically, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, establishes the husband's marital authority. But it says this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so full disclosure this morning, I was supposed to preach next Sunday morning. I was supposed to preach the passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, you know, the passage that was written to children and parents. Um, but as it turns out, as time progressed over that, uh, that week, it turns out that uh, teenagers and two-year-olds give me panic attacks, and so... <laughs> No joke, as we were discussing the Christian Family mini-series, Tim said something along the lines of this, said, Mike, have, I'd like for you to consider preaching through uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and I, I said, yeah, yeah, no, no problem, man. And it was either that night or the night thereafter, I was helping with baby bath time and I gently told my little two-year-old baby girl to sit down in the bathtub. And my precious little two-year-old baby girl responded to me with an emphatic no and proceeded to slap me in the face. And it was in that moment that several realizations kind of converged in my mind, Uh, one of which was, I've just been slapped in the face by a two-year-old, combined with the second thought that quickly entered thereafter, the verse in Ephesians uh, Ephesians 6-4 that says, Fathers, Do Not Provoke Your Children to Anger, combined with the realization that just a few weeks prior to this, my younger sister, she's six years younger than I am, she had not just suggested to me, but actually handed me a copy of James Dobson's Strong-Willed Child. And not only that, but she had it already marked with, with labels of the sections that she thought that I should read so all of that converged in my mind that night, and I thought to myself, man, I'm, I'm probably not all that qualified to preach Ephesians chapter 6 uh, to parents and children, and I knew exactly what I was going to do next. I determined in my mind that I was going to trade passages of scripture with Gordon. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I thought to myself as I'm continuing the bath, Gordon has uh, beautiful, articulate teenage sons, and they were at one time... Uh, two-year-olds, and he's done okay. So I think I'm going to do a little switcheroo. Anyway, Gordon, you're up next week. This morning, we come to Ephesians chapter 5, which is the verse that deals with husbands. And husbands, I know what you're feeling. It's like the apostolic gunship has already shot its round across the bow of our wives, and now it's like it's turning its attention towards us. And so all of you wives out there, I want you to simply just put your hand on your husband's hand. Go ahead and do it, like right now, put your hand on his hand, and I want you to gently look him in the eyes, and I want you to say to him, look, husband, I made it through last Sunday, you better listen up right now. Go ahead and tell that to him. All right. Husbands, you're going to make it through this. Oh, and by the way, husbands, not only are we teaching this morning on husbands, but uh... every week for the next eight weeks we actually have a class right in this room right over here it's called uh... manhood restored dynamic is teaching that class and so um, it's it's a great class um, and i encourage all of you that if you're looking for an, for more input on topics like what we'll talk about today that room right there is where you can go get your man card back So wednesday nights seven o'clock you're invited all of you guys are invited Husbands, we need this passage, and so let's begin this morning. We're going to, to, we're going to read a little bit of the Scripture, then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to read a little bit more. And so last week, we've already said that Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, establishes the husband's marital authority. This morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, describes the husband's marital authority. And so this passage literally seems to trace Christ's care for his church all the way back into eternity past and all the way into eternity future. So let's listen to the Holy Spirit-inspired words of God through the Apostle Paul. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We can immediately deduce just from that first sentence that the husband's authority is to be the same manner as that of Christ's authority over his church. And then the question quickly comes into your mind, well, how did Christ exercise his authority over the church? I'm glad you asked, and I think you already know the Apostle Paul tells us Christ loves his church and gave himself up for her. So right away, Paul is communicating a portrayal of the gospel in our marriage relationships. The sacred relationship of the husband to his wife is a portrayal of Christ's sacred relationship to his church. And there are four attributes and a fifth, and you'll see why I say that. There are four attributes and a fifth of the manner of the husband's headship over his home. The f- so the manner and the, mo- and the motive of leadership has 4 subpoints under it. The first attribute of godly, Christ-like, manly authority is sacrificial love. And Paul doesn't just suggest sacrificial love. The Apostle Paul commands husbands, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, obviously, no sinful human being has the ability to love with the perfect, complete, everlasting, holy love with which Christ loved his church. Our love is a worldly love. Our love um, is a worldly broken type of love. We love those whom we deem worthy of our love. More often than not, we love characteristics such as physical attractiveness or personality or humor or prestige. And as soon as one or more of those characteristics begin to fade, so does our love for that person. As soon as our partner loses his or her appeal, that love is gone because the basis for that love is gone. But God's love is not that sort of love. God's love is a way different type of love. God loves because it is his innate nature to love that which he has created, and because the objects of his love need to be loved, not because they're attractive or that they deserve his love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us literally that God is love. Husbands, those of you who profess faith in Christ, before you were ever born, God determined how and when he would demonstrate his attribute of love for you. And wives, those of you who trust in Jesus, before you were ever born, God determined how and when he would demonstrate his love for you. I want you to just stop and think about that for just a second. From eternity past, God set his love on you, and he determined to save you. Husbands, from eternity past, God loved you. Wives, from eternity past, God set his love on you. How amazing is that? We sing about God's love a lot on Sunday mornings, and sometimes it goes right over our head. But when we stop and think about the kind of love that God has for us and how undeserving we are, how unholy he is, it's absolutely amazing, and it grips, it grips my heart. I want you to just stop and, and think about that for a second as we are undeserving of his love this morning he has set his love upon us. Let's move on. Husbands, God can command his kind of love from those who belong to him because he has given us the capacity to love as he loves in the person of Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit who continually points us to the person of Christ. First John 4 goes on to say that in this the love of God was made manifest among you that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Romans 5.5 5 says God, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the spirit who has been given to us. And so husbands, God can command us to love our wives sacrificially simply because it's his will for us to do so. But God has also given us his Holy Spirit in order that we might accomplish that which he has commanded. Does that make sense so far? So what does sacrificial love look like? Simply put, sacrificial love looks like Christ's love. Christ-like love is to be the kind of love that would literally die for her so that she might live. Christ loved us despite our selfishness, despite our pride, our self-indulgence, our fickleness, Christ's love does whatever needs to be done and does not count the cost or the merit. Christ's love reaches out and it helps, it leads, it teaches, it warns, and it encourages. And whether that love is received or rejected, whether it's appreciated or resented, Christ-like love continues as long as the need continues. Basically, into eternity, right? The husband who loves his wife only for what she can give him, loves as the world loves, not as Christ loves. So the husband who loves like Christ will give himself up for the sake of Christ. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 22. He said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so With you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And Jesus said, I am among you as the one who serves. John Piper said it like this He said, The husband who plops himself down in front of the TV and orders his wife around like a slave has abandoned Christ in favor of Archie Bunker. Christ has bound himself with a towel and washed his apostles' feet. And so, husbands, if you want to be a Christian husband, copy Jesus, not Jabba the Hutt. That made sense to me. (laughs) It is true that that uh, verse 21 of Ephesians 5 puts this whole section under the banner of mutual submission to one another. It says, basically, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. But it is utterly unwarranted to infer from that verse that the way Christ submits himself to the church and the way the church submits herself to Christ are one and the same. The church submits herself to Christ through a disposition to follow his leadership. And amazingly enough, how this works, Christ submits to the church by a disposition to exercise his leadership in humble service to the church. So when Christ said, let the leader become as one who serves, Christ did not mean that the leader ceases to be the leader. So even while he was on his knees washing the feet of his disciple, no one in that room questioned who the leader was, all right? Nor should any Christian husband sidestep his responsibilities under God to provide moral vision and spiritual leadership as the humble servant of his family. So the very first implication of of this mystery of marriage that we're going to talk about in a second, it's, it's a reflection of Christ's relationship to the church is that wives should take their special cue from the church and husbands should take their special cue from Christ. So wherever you find a marriage that looks like that, you will find two of the happiest people in the world because their lives conform to the word of God in Scripture and the word of God through the person of Jesus Christ. So I might as well at this point go ahead and give you husbands the key to unlock The the rest of this passage husbands if I were to put it very simply the goal of your marriage is to love and to lead like Christ And the means by which you will love and lead her like Christ Is the love and leadership of Christ Let me say that again The goal of your marriage is to love and to lead like Christ Christ And the means by which you will love and lead her like Christ is the love and leadership of Christ himself. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. We're coming to our second point. Why did Christ love the church and why did he give himself up for her? What was the purpose of it? Well, in the original Greek language, there is this amazing little conjunction. It's called a henna conjunction. It it translates literally... So that, or in order that, a henna conjunction gives us the purpose of what the author is trying to say, what he's trying to convey. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that, henna conjunction, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed herself by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy and without blemish. So I wonder today, how many of you guys remember the days and the weeks and the months leading up to your wedding day? Anybody? vague, vague couple of guys out there. Troy remembers it. Okay, Don. We got some guys that remember, vaguely remember it, guys, or yeah, kind of. Listen. <clears throat> I remember it. <laughs> I remember the days and the months leading up to the the wedding day that was coming. I remember we got to find a venue. No, not that venue. It's too expensive. We got to find. We still need to find a venue. That one's already taken. We got to find. Uh, we got to find a cake maker. That one's not available. No, that person's too expensive. We got to find a photographer. Let, let me just tell you, millennial photographers. I mean so much drama when you go to hire a photographer. I mean, basically, it just comes down to you give the photographer your money and you hope they show up on time that day, it's basically what we figured out. Guys, I wonder this. How many of you um, remember <clears throat> picking out your tux? I did. Uh, I remembered. I said, I already have a funeral tux. Like, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with this one? You know, it's black. It matches. Not good enough. And don't ever say that. Just go to the store, pick out your tux, and go along with the idea. Did any of you guys pay to have your hair fixed? Don't raise your hand. Okay. Or did any of you guys go pay to have your nails done in a salon? Again, don't raise your hand. I will step down off of here and punch you in the throat. (laughs) Okay. I'm getting to my point. My point is that, guys, while you were out you know, doing whatever, your wife was making preparations for this day that was coming up. She was out beautifying herself. She was making preparations. I know for a fact that on the eve of her wedding day, Ashley Hopped was beautifying, and making all these preparations. Tim was out bowling, okay? So a lot of us guys are probably the same way. I mean, we didn't actually do a whole lot to help prepare for this day. The, the, the responsibility and the love for that, the joy of, of preparing and beautifying herself actually kind of fell on the bride, right? This passage is just a little bit different than that. Um, I remember the moment of what I think Paul has in his mind. I remember the moment uh, when the, all the preparations had been done, all the stressing out, all of, all of the planning. I remember the door opening in the back of the chapel. Do you remember that? I do. I remember that moment when sunlight coming through the back doors, there she stood Beautiful, radiant, joyful, perfect. I remember that moment, and I think that's the moment that Paul has in mind here of the purpose of husbands loving your wives and giving yourself to her. I think what he has in mind is our next point, which is the husband's love for his wife is to be a purifying love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church so that she may be presented to Christ as the beautiful person that God determined her to be. Well, how? Paul tells us how. He says, by the washing of water and with the word. Well, what does that mean? The word of God. The Bible is the agent of our purification and our sanctification. Titus chapter And in the previous chapter, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, previous to the one we're preaching today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up. So husbands, your love for your wife is to be a purifying love. It means very simply that you consistently point her to Christ with the word of God. A purifying love wants only the best for the one it loves. And a purifying love cannot bear for a loved one to be corrupted or misled by anything evil or harmful. So husbands, never induce your wife to that which is wrong or, or even less than good in the eyes of the Lord. A purifying love will seek to help purify her from any sort of defilement. A purifying love will protect her from the world's contamination. A purifying love, husbands, will protect your wife's holiness, her virtue, and her purity. Domineering, husbands, Domineering has no place in the Christian home except to drive out that which does not honor God. So husbands, if you ever have to come to the place where you have to put your foot down, you better make sure that your motive is as pure as cleansing the temple when Christ himself did it. Obviously, we are not perfect at that. And we husbands must at times confess our sin to Christ ask him to purify us, ask him to renew us, and then we go to our wives and we make it right with them as well. Is your wife perfect? No. Are you perfect, husband? No. But if you love Christ, his spirit dwells within you, and the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing you to Christ so that you might increasingly re- rely upon Christ's righteousness and become heirs of eternal life together. You're, you're depending, though, on Christ. Husbands, you are not a cul-de-sac of that righteousness. Think of yourself more as a conduit of Christ's righteousness in and through you to your wife. So, husbands, let your wife be a purifying and sanctifying love by the agent of the Word of God so that she might be presented to Christ as his pure bride forever to dwell in his love. Let's move forward. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies— He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the third attribute that we come to here is the husband's love is to be a nurturing love. It's to be a nurturing love. As I was studying for this passage, I ran across a story of a husband and wife. Um, The wife was experiencing severe depression. She began to Mope around the house all the time. She was sad all the time. She was lifeless. There was, there was no light in her eyes. There was no spring in her step, and she was just literally, absolutely, joyless. And so, it became so bad that the husband did what any man would do. He uh, he made an appointment with the psychiatrist. And (laughs) on the appointed day, the husband and the wife went to the psychiatrist's office, and they sat down with the psychiatrist. And they just began to converse back and forth. It wasn't too long, though, before the, the wise doctor knew exactly what the problem was. And so without saying a word, the doctor simply just stood up. He walked over in front of the woman's chair and signaled her to stand. He took her by the hands, looked her in the eyes for an awkward 30 seconds, which is an eternity. The doctor gathered her into his arms, gave her a big, warm hug, and the husband was like absolutely amazed because all of a sudden he could literally see like this change come over, over the woman. Her face softened instantly. Her eyes lit up. She immediately relaxed. Her whole face was glowing. And the doctor stepped back and looked at the husband and basically said, that's, what, that's all she needed. And the husband said, that is absolutely Amazing. I know exactly what I need to do now. The husband said, I play golf on Mondays and Wednesdays, but I'm going to bring her back to you right here every Tuesday and Thursday. (laughs) So, men, this point, (laughs) this point that Paul is making is that manly, godly, Christian love is not void of emotion. It's not void of emotion. So, men, you might say to me, Well, I'm just not an emotional man. I I don't feel emotion. And I'm gonna tell you, that's baloney. To which you might say, You just called me a liar. Why are you calling me a liar? And I would say to you, Well, if you were void of emotion, why are you so upset that I just called you a liar? When when you're out on the here's another example, when you're out on the golf course, men and you shank one really bad, you don't just stand there and say, I seem to have hit that one poorly. That's not how it goes, is it? Or when you're watching the ball game and your team, whoever it is, when you're watching the ball game and your team is getting beat like a rented mule, you don't just sit there and say, they seem to have far more points on the board at this time than we do. It's not how it goes, right? And if you were to walk in tomorrow and your stuff was in a box on the sidewalk with a pink slip in it, You wouldn't just stand there and say, well, I really have enjoyed my time here. You are not void. Men, we are not void of emotion. And so when we tell our wives, listen, I'm just not an emotional man. What what you're telling her, basically, husbands, is you don't matter as much as my golf game. You don't matter as much as my favorite team. You don't matter as much as my job. So husband, if your love for your wife is to be the is to be a Christ-like love, the same as his love for his church. Your love must be an affectionate, caring, nurturing love to the extent that you care just as much for her welfare and her emotional happiness as you do your own. And I'd go a step further, men, and say this. Come in really close here. I would say that the way for you to be nurtured yourself is to find joy in nurturing and caring for her. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down, men, in saying that? I think the way for you to be nurtured is to nurture and love and care for her. I wonder, though, how many of us husbands think of our wives as just the cook, the housekeeper, the taxi service, the occasional companion. I wonder how many of us have at times even condescendingly spoken to her or belittled her Christ never belittled his church. Christ didn't crush his church or stifle her or neglect her. Christ sacrificed himself so that the church might become everything he longs for her to be. Christ said this. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for I have heard from my Father, and I have made that known to you. Christ's sacrifice for his church was active. It was purposeful in that his giving of himself was in order that he might cleanse her and sanctify her and ultimately present her to himself in full splendor. In the same way, husbands are to nurture your wives in such a way as to literally liberate her from everything that spoils her true feminine identity. We are to liberate her from everything that stifles her from growing towards that glory of of what I described as the chapel doors open. We're We're to have a purifying and nurturing love to liberate her from everything that stifles her from growing towards that fulfilled personhood that God designed her to have. And it's the designed glory that God has in mind for every single person on this earth to end up with in heaven. Husbands, stop thinking of yourself as a king and start thinking of yourself as a companion to your wife. The Apostle Peter also kind of talks a little bit on this. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in just one verse, we find at least three commandments that support exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching us this morning. First, that husbands are to be considerate and understanding. Second, that the husband is to show her honor as the weaker vessel. And ladies in the room, that word there, the, the word weaker, it doesn't mean that you're, that you're puny, okay? The Greek word actually implies a valuable vessel, like an expensive vase that would have been used in performing ritual rites. Husbands treat women basically with chivalry, especially your wives. And third, it shows us that the husband is to honor his wife as a fellow heir with you of the grace of life. And if you're not loving your life or your wife in this way, husband, you're missing out because the, the wife that God has given you is not becoming the woman that God intended for her. And if you're not loving your wife like Christ loved the church, he actually says that your prayers are being hindered. So husbands should never, never crush or stifle or frustrate her from being herself, but quite the contrary, husbands. Let your love for your wife be the kind of love that leads her and points her to Christ so that she may develop her full potential under God and so become more completely herself. So husbands, when your wife needs strength, you give her strength. When she needs encouragement, you give her encouragement. When she comes to you with something on your mind and you listen. It means you listen to her before you try to fix it. You don't lean on your own understanding, but rather point her to the wisdom of God. Help her carry the workload of your household. She's not your slave. Husbands, she's not, she's not your slave. She is your God-given companion. So when she's sick, minister her back to health. Pray with her. Model for her what it looks like to be under the headship of Christ. Forgive her. Be gracious to her. Speak words of encouragement to her. To nourish your wife is to provide for her needs physically, emotionally, spiritually, basically to love her like you want to be loved yourself, and by nurturing and loving her like Christ has actually loved and nurtured you. So far, the Apostle Paul has used two analogies to describe a husband's love for his wife, namely he has used Christ's loving sacrifice for his bride, the church, and the husband's loving care for his own body. And now Paul fuses the two of these together and he says, um, he says that Christ's bride and that Christ's body are essentially one and the same because he says in verse 30, he says, "'Because we are members of Christ's body, the church.'" Christ has mysteriously, amazingly, miraculously somehow incorporated us into himself. Christ has made us part of himself in this profound, mysterious, indissoluble union called the church, which leads us to our fourth point. The husband's love for his wife is to be a covenantal love. Ephesians 5.31 is a quote that comes all the way from the very dawn of creation. It comes from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Ephesians 5, is, um, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, at first glance, you might think that Paul is only speaking about the about the intimate bond between a husband and a wife. But Paul immediately goes on to explain the deeper meaning here. He says that the husband's love for his wife basically isn't... Well, no offense, but it's not a teenage girl kind of love, okay? Oh my gosh, I love him so much. Which always should be followed by this week. Always. (laughs) The, The husband's love for his wife is permanent it is unbreakable it is a covenantal love in genesis 2 24 um, we find god's standard for marriage Um, and god's standard for marriage has not changed ever since the dawn of creation one of the most common reasons that marriages fail is literally because one or both of the spouses refuse to leave father and mother. How many of you couples uh, lit a unity candle at your wedding? Did anybody? We, I think we did. I don't actually remember. If you don't, it's okay because I don't either. You know what I'm talking about though, right? The unity candle is where during a portion of the, the wedding ceremony, the husband and the wife go and they pick up their own candle. They pick up one candle each and essentially they go to the candle sitting in the middle and then they... They light the candle in the, in the middle. It becomes, you know, one flame. And then some people, like, blow each of those candles out or some people leave them lit sitting there. The unity candle, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, and like, if I need to describe it a little bit more, like your husband's hippie ex-boyfriend's off to the side playing, like, Peter, Paul, and Mary, like, where, you know, there's love. No? Okay. I'm just speaking in generalities. Never mind any of that. The, uni- <laughs> the unity candle is supposed to be a picture of, or a symbol of, of this relationship, this new family that has been created. Basically, the, the former relationships are severed, and there is a new family, a new relationship created. And of course, we continue to love and to care for our parents. The Bible commands us to do so. But essentially, the parents, according to the Bible, no longer meddle in the lives of their married children. So husband, what that basically is saying to us is no more running back to mommy and like, you know, letting her pet your bottom till it's tell you it's special and different from everybody else's. And wife, no more running back to daddy and and, and tattletaling on the husband. Okay. There is um there is a leaving, like a leaving and a cleaving that Paul is describing to us here. The Greek word the word for cleave, it literally means to be glued together. It means to be cemented together. And so husbands and wives leave the parents and they cling to one another. They break one set of ties as they establish the other. And the second tie that they, break, that they build is literally more binding than the first, God is a a God of covenants, and so when you as a couple on your wedding day said, I do, you literally made a covenant before the Lord, and God hates broken covenants. He hates them. Malachi chapter 2 says, the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. He goes on to say, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Votie Bauckham said it like this. He said, husbands, love your wife. The Bible commands you to love your wife. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And your na- your wife is your closest neighbor, so love your wife. And you might say, "This is still Vodi Bakam. He says, "Yeah, well, she's not even my closest neighbor. I moved out." Vodi says, "That's fine." Jesus said, "By all this, will men, by all this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. So love your wife because she's your sister in Christ." Well, I don't even know if she's saved. That's fine. The Bible says, "Love your enemies." Votie said it is absolutely inexcusable for a man who follows Christ to stop loving his wife. It's a choice, it's an act of the will, and we walk away because we don't have a biblical worldview. So, husbands and wives are not to be quick to divorce one another because of wrongdoings on one side or the other, not even for unfaithfulness, according to Malachi. So, let me ask you something, Christ follower. All of us, has Christ ever refused to forgive you? Has Christ ever abandoned you? Has Christ ever broken a promise to you? And I can answer that for you. No, he has not, ever. Husbands and wives, you have given God a million reasons to not love you. And yet in this story called life, we are the covenant breakers to him, and he is the promise keeper to us, the covenant fulfiller. God revealed his very nature to us in this way, that he is love. He is a covenant keeper. He will not break a covenant that he himself has sealed with his own blood. He has basically said to all of us in the room, I will never leave you or forsake you. And if that statement that Christ has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you, if that hasn't gripped your soul and transformed you from the inside out, causing you and motivating you to love your wife with an unbreakable love, it's a very good indication, husband, that you yourself are not under God's covenant. The sacred covenant relationship of the husband to his wife is grounded And it grows in the soil of Christ's sacred covenant relationship to his church, to us. And so husbands, if your wife knows by your word and by your deed that your promise to her is grounded in something deeper than her, if she knows that you are desperately trusting, believing, depending upon Christ, I promise you, she will see it. And she will know that she is safe and loved and she will trust your loving leadership. So let's summarize this far and land this plane. In chapters 1 and 4 of Ephesians, Paul outlines the new standard by which God's new society is to function. Basically that unity and purity are indispensable to a life worthy and fitting of the church's new status under God. But practically speaking, how do we live in unity and purity? Well, Paul tells us in submission and love, Love that is literally born of the obedience of faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, which was last week, establishes the husband's marital authority. Today's passage of Scripture, verses 25 through 33, describe the husband's marital authority, which is born of transformative love. The sacred relationship of the the husband to his wife is a portrayal of Christ's sacred relationship to his church. But then Paul goes on to say, he says this, guys, I know this seems like a mystery, but you have a brand new identity in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us the motive for loving our wives in verses 32 and 33. He says this, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I conclude from this entire passage of Scripture, from last week, from this week, I conclude that what we have on our hands is not a marriage crisis in the Christian community. I conclude that what we have is a faith crisis. <laughs> I, I conclude from Ephesians chapter 5 that all of us, everyone in this room, must come to grips with one essential question, and I think that question is, do I or do I not believe what Jesus himself said. Well, what did Jesus himself say? Well, let's just look at one thing that he said. My favorite passage of Scripture, probably in the entire Bible, because it it has literally kind of turned me into a a one-trick pony when it comes to life and godliness. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, which says to me, husband, Mike, you can't lead Your wife to Christ without Christ. Verse 6 If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered together and thrown in the fire and burned. Husbands, apart from Christ, you're never going to find fulfillment, not in this life, and Jesus says certainly not in the next. Verse 9 As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. Well, what are Christ's commandments? Well, they are commandments such as abide in me. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. And here's another Hina conjunction. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's a commandment right there. Love one another as I have loved you. And how did Christ love us? Well, he says, Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Again, what does he command us? He commands us to abide in him, to trust in him. Verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Husbands, your wife isn't your servant. Jesus says, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I think there's a picture of Christ's equality and submission to God the Father. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And I want you to remember that statement right there because we're going to come back to that statement and make one more point to set us up for next week's sermon. So that... There's another purpose clause, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. And he finalizes it and says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's what I think. I think the whole point of Ephesians chapter 5 is that husbands, we cannot love, truly love, and wives, you cannot submit, truly submit, unless husbands and wives are abiding in Christ. And if deep down you doubt the reality and the authority of Christ, if Christ's sacrificial, purifying, terrifying, unbreakable love hasn't captured your attention and transformed your affections, wives, you cannot submit in a godly way. And husbands, you cannot love and lead in a godly, honoring way. And I have to remind myself that I'm supposed to be speaking to only the husbands in the room today, so let me rephrase it. Husbands, ultimately, your marriage depends Upon your dependence and obedience to Jesus Christ a husband's greatest motive for loving purifying protecting and caring for his wife is Christ's love purifying protecting and caring for his own bride and mutually submissive because those virtues characterize the relationship of Christ and his church So we sang it earlier today husbands though the point of one of the points of this is that you are in a way you are the lion and the lamb of your marriage marriage is a picture of Christ as the lion and the lamb to his church and so our final point is this when christian husbands and wives walk in the power of the spirit yield to his word and in in his control and they are mutually submissive and they are the happiest couples in the world you'll ever meet and their submission and love will bring it will bring their children many many blessings the next point is this that a wife's godly submission and the husband's godly love and leadership is a generational love meaning that ki- your kids, husbands and wives, will see the love of Christ because your marriage portrays the love of Christ and they will grow up as godly offspring. So more on that next week, but I want you to take heart, husbands and wives. God is a covenant keeper. He will finish what he initiated in you because he who commands us is faithful. He will surely do it